The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, May 23rd, 2022, as we bring you a new episode. And unfortunately, there's just not a lot to talk about after the White Sox series in New York. I'm kidding, of course. There's a ton to talk about. Josh Donaldson offending Tim Anderson and the White Sox caught the headlines after Saturday's loss, but a doubleheader sweep on Sunday was extra sweet, especially Tim Anderson's big home run in the nightcap. We'll recap the Yankees series, look ahead to the upcoming homestand that will feature a tricky three-game series against a Boston Red Sox team that is hot right now and is figuring out their offensive problems. At the end of the show, we'll answer questions from our Patreon supporters in P.O. Sox. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. Lots of controversy after Saturday's loss between Josh Donaldson and essentially the entire White Sox team. But Sunday, that was a great day for the White Sox. Well, even, I would say... The Josh Donaldson thing was a great moment for the White Sox because it, you know, I don't want to say like it, it gave them energy or it galvanized them or or something to that matter because, you know, that could be short-lived and then we're going to say, oh, they're going to need another extracurricular incident to get them going. You know, that's not a way you sustain a team. You, you sustain a team with, you know, good plate appearances and, you know, stringing together strong starts. So I don't want to make too much of it from a narrative perspective, but in terms of just handling it well, handling it as a team, sticking up for each other, all that, they passed. You know, like this could have been a situation where, you know, maybe it magnifies some cracks based on how they've started, the uh, frustration of not playing the way they should, the criticism they've gotten from the outside and the way some, you know, players and uh, broadcasters and such have responded to it, not being great. Like, you know, perhaps it's a situation where, stress creates a fault line or exacerbates a fault line that's already there, but everybody responded like professionals, like professional teammates. And while it didn't turn into a, a win immediately, they swept a doubleheader. They came out the series win. 
nobody threw at anybody. Nobody is getting suspended. Uh, they looked, they, they kept their composure. And at the end, they maybe they didn't look like the better team because, you know, they're evenly matched, I think. But I mean, the Yankees looked like they had their own things to deal with. So uh, the White Sox left in better shape. Yeah, the Yankees. It'd be funny if with the whole narrative perspective, as much as some people will say, well, that this is going to help the White Sox turn their season around. It'd be funny if it like becomes too big of a distraction for the Yankees for the next couple of weeks where the Yankees start hitting a real slump gym. That to me, that would be funny as in ha ha you deserve <laughs> after all the crap that was going on from the Josh Donaldson comments. And I, the only thing that surprises me from the Josh Donaldson comments is just how much Yankees media and Yankees fans have Donaldson's back. And he's been with the team for 40 games. He's not like a lifelong Yankees player. Mm-hmm. And I am sure they didn't like him when he was with the Toronto Blue Jays. So I'm not exactly sure where all this support is coming from. Uh, it is quite interesting, but this is also a franchise that supports Araldus Chapman. And uh, that was also extra sweet to see AJ Pollock in the first game, the doubleheader take Chapman yard to give the white Sox the lead. And then of course, Tim Anderson with the big three run Homer in that five run eighth inning after a very frustrating seven innings for the white Sox, we had our watch party on playback for that game. Mm-hmm. And I was getting really angry during that game, Jim, especially late because 10 runs, no, no, sorry, 10 hits, no runs. Uh, but then the white Sox finally figured out as far as their offense, but just on the field, the play from Sunday, when you were looking at the outstanding starts from both Cueto and Kopech, we'll dive a little bit more deeper into their performances. Winning two out of three at Yankee Stadium. And when you go back to the gauntlet, which started late April in that Angel series, we made that 38-game prediction. You went 19-19. and 19. I, was, I was on the Dower side. I predicted 16-22. and 22. We're 23 games into the gauntlet and the White Sox are 14 and nine. Is this a momentum turning series for the White Sox where it can give them more confidence because they still have some tough series coming up, but instead of being all doom and gloom, yeah, you can spin it to say, even though the White Sox have to go to Toronto and Tampa Bay, maybe they do split that six game road stand and they're continuing to tread water and they're not drowning being five or six games below 500. I think it can be because Michael Kopech looked like peak Michael Kopech. Last time we saw him before the paternity leave, he was throwing mid-90s to low-90s. The slider command was bad. It looked He looked off. He said he felt off. No acute issues. No, you know, no shaking out the arm. Nothing like, you know... Uh, no knee or you know, leg or oblique issues or anything like that. You know, it was just an off start. And, you know, at least as far as anybody knew, but there's always the chance when you have a pitcher who normally throws 97, 98, throwing 92, 93, usually that's a red flag. So when he came back from paternity leave, there was a very real chance that he could have been throwing 95, 94, 93, 92 again. And then all of a sudden the rotation is now Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease and blah you know maybe Johnny Cueto has been okay but just in terms of bankable upside rotation Kopech was kind of the other guy you know I guess as long as Lance Lynn's hurt and we don't know exactly what he can bring so now that we have some evidence that 
Kopech is all the way back, or maybe that's just a weird dead arm game, and he's, uh, you know, maybe who knows with paternity stuff, he was getting uh, not a lot of sleep. You never quite know, but uh, you know, came back looking like a postseason starter, and you know when you when you hold the Yankees to a couple hits over two starts and you throw you know a perfect game what did get or what did the no hitter get into the fifth sixth inning sixth inning yeah sixth inning so yeah just when you when you do that at Yankee Stadium uh that's a pretty good sign that he's you know he can put a bad offense on his back here and there so I, I think that's the kind of start uh, and also, you know, hopefully providing Dylan Cease a little bit of extra rest. So he looks a little more like peak Cease that uh, you can see a rotation that can shoulder these, you know, offensive dry spells. So that's, I, I think, the biggest reason for optimism coming out of this is that it's not just lucky sequencing and scoring three runs when the other team scores two or happening to score five runs when the other team scores four. But this is Michael Kopech holding a team down until the White Sox offense can arrive. And it arrived with a with a big crooked number. Yeah, Kopech had just one bad inning against the Yankees at his two starts. And of course, that was the second inning when he walked in multiple runs. A third run was scored off a wild pitch. That was the worst that I've seen Michael Kopech in a White Sox uniform was that particular inning. But he was able to bounce back, grind it out, get through six innings. He only allowed one hit. That was the... Narrative from that start was one bad inning cost Michael Kopech. And tonight, seven innings, one hit, no runs, two walks, six strikeouts. In 13 innings covering two starts, Michael Kopech only allowed two hits to the Yankees, Jim. The -hmm. Yankees and how great of a team that they are. And we believe that they're going to be there in October. And during the stream... For our watch party, our friend Cherizi mentioned this. Actually, Beef Loaf mentioned this from the 108, that Michael Kopech is like your game one, game two starter in the postseason with the way that he threw, with just this electricity of this 98 to 99-mile-per-hour fastball that tails away from lefties. But the confidence that he had to spin a tight slider to get strike one and keep the batters off balance... Like, it's one thing to have a great start against a team like the Kansas City Royals who just don't seem interested in playing baseball anymore. But to do that, the way that Kopech did on a national stage on Sunday Night Baseball at Yankee Stadium against the best team in baseball, man, I I don't know how much more confidence you can have as a fan in Michael Kopech and add in how well that Cease and Giolito are throwing these three, we already had this conversation. Is this the best three in the American League? You have to be very excited as a White Sox fan when you do get these stretches now of the season where it's going to be Kopech, Cease, and Giolito, just the way that they're lined up. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Kopech's uh, stat cast data, and uh, it, it's one of those starts where you see six strikeouts over seven innings, but when you look at what he did, you know, 16 whiffs out of 92 pitches, which is very good. 92 pitches over seven innings, which is excellent. And he was even more efficient early on. I think that last inning uh, cost him, but he was towards the finish line anyway of a start, so it didn't really matter. But that's among the better six strikeout over seven inning games you can throw. <laughs> Only four hard hit balls. So uh, that's pretty much ideal for... Uh, a double header, like that's a case where you don't necessarily want him striking out like 11 over four innings like Dylan Cease did because you need innings and you need to try to preserve Kendall Graveman and Liam Hendricks who threw in the first game and, and you know, lighten the load. So he delivered the exact start the White Sox needed to have. 
and Johnny Cueto was also excellent. Uh, and we had that conversation after Cueto's start against the Royals. It's the Royals. And it was a good first impression from Johnny Cueto, but can this last? He throws six scoreless innings against the Yankees, only allows six hits, two walks, and five strikeouts. Are we sold on on Cueto's starting games? Especially because, obviously, from now until mid-June, when Lance Lynn is eligible to rejoin the White Sox, which is Tuesday, June 7th, that's the home series against Los Angeles Dodgers, and it sounds like Lance Lynn's going to be making some rehab starts soon down in Charlotte to get ramped up to rejoin the White Sox. Obviously, Keiko's going to be getting a couple more starts before Lance mm-hmm. Lynn returns, Jim. But now this is the focus where we go from the conversation of Velasquez versus Keiko. Now it's Cueto versus Keiko. Are we sold that Cueto can keep up this type of performance? I think so. Like, you know, maybe not. Well, what do you mean by this type of performance? Six shutout innings <laughs> or just, yeah. Every time. Six shutout <laughs> yeah, innings every time. No, I, 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 yeah, I'm just. In terms of holding it, down a spot with confidence. Yes, that you know going into the game that Cueto is not going to allow five runs in that start. Yeah, I mean, he might occasionally. Like, you know, he hasn't had the long ball problem yet, and that sometimes hits him. But for what the White Sox need, I'm confident in him. Just really the the health. You know, he had a couple injuries last year, and, and so he could very well, like, have a lat, you know, bark on him or a tweak in the elbow or something like that. He's not... He doesn't have the strongest record of durability. So that's really the only doubt I have. And the only reason why, like I'd say like, oh, it'd be nice to have, uh, you know, if not Dallas Keuchel, like right now, I think Dallas Keuchel is important just because Davis Martin is there, but then really the rest of Charlotte is a mess. So if they had like, if Lance Lynn, you know, whatever hits a setback or something like that, or somebody else gets down, like Jimmy Lambert looks like he's in rough shape. The starting rotation is a mess. Nobody really in Birmingham can help out. So it's a precarious position the White Sox are in where Cueto right now solves the White Sox biggest problem. But, you know, maybe, you know, you can get by with like saying goodbye to Keuchel and then you're just having Vince Velasquez there to be that guy who you don't want starting. But, you know, if he does, not the end of the world. Um, I'm, I'm really curious though about, you know, I, we thought Reynaldo Lopez would be that guy, but now he's pumping a hundred, throwing an inning at a time. So, you know, maybe we say goodbye to that idea of him being a spot starter and just have Velasquez do that. But I do like the way Cueto's throwing. He looks like he's throwing with a lot of throwing all his pitches and, you know, locating well enough and deception helping when he doesn't locate well enough. And if the ball is going to be dead for a lot of the year, then he could probably get by with some misses if, as long as he's being creative about the way he's missing. So I generally like the way he's throwing, especially if you have Kopech looking great and Cease looking great and Giolito, uh, you're rounding into his past form. And, you know, Lynn is maybe the biggest mystery, but if Lynn's the biggest mystery and you're, you're in pretty good shape. You're in very good shape. Uh, I was going to bring up Ronaldo Lopez. Uh, did you ever think he would be hitting a hundred miles an hour uh, with his fastball? Like, are they grooming him to be a high leverage reliever instead of just being a swing man? Not sure if they need like high leverage, but you know, like it, it's a nice situation to have right now to where like they have Foster and they have Ruiz and they have Lopez and they can all be used for similar situations, but they all do different things. Like they, you know, you have, you have Foster with the high fastball changeup. Now he's throwing a slider and then you have Ruiz who's throwing three pitches. And now you have Lopez who's kind of throwing straight heat and being very uh, you know attacking with it the way Ruiz sometimes doesn't attack. So I think, you know, 
he's probably in that rotation where like if Graveman needs a day off, if you know Bummer isn't all the way back, then yeah, throw him out there. Like just you know have him grab the inning. But you know we talk about the winning and losing bullpen. Like I think right now he was kind of more of a yeah more of a losing bullpen guy. Not not necessarily because of his what he was doing, but more because he could go a second inning if need be. So he is somebody who could stretch out the bullpen and in, in case of a rough situation. But if he's throwing like this and and uh, attacking, then yeah, it's it's a case where he's more of that winning bullpen type who. Um, can be sixth, seventh inning and maybe take the stress off Graveman for an occasional eighth. The White Sox did score 13 runs in the three games against the Yankees, so that's averaging more than four runs a game. Yes. That's good news. It's could be better still, but progress. Uh, Jose Abreu had a big three-run homer in the White Sox loss as they lost 7-5 to five on Saturday. But A.J. Pollock... Big home run after Kendall Graveman gave up a solo shot in the bottom of the eighth inning to Aaron Judge to cost Johnny Cueto the win, and it tied the game one-to-one. But against Araldis Chapman, A.J. Pollock was able to pull that inside fastball for a home run. And in his last 13 games, A.J. Pollock is hitting 326 with the 362 on base percentage, and he's slugging 581. He's 14 of 43 in the last couple of weeks for the White Sox with two homers and five doubles. We were hoping that A.J. Pollock can start hot for the White Sox. He did in the first series, got hurt, and timing was just disastrous. It had really sunk his season numbers to date. But in the last couple of weeks, Jim, I'm noticing better contact, better timing from A.J. Pollock. Is he heating up? Is this the time that we're finally going to see the A.J. Pollock that White Sox fans thought they were getting after the Craig Kimbrell trade. It seems like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at his May numbers and looking at his May splits. They're still pretty terrible. 250, 288, 412. So it's like, you know, 280 OBP. Like I kept thinking, you know, just watching him that, oh, he's he's getting ready to heat up. He's, he's stringing the games together. And like the May splits were terrible <laughs> because of how he started. And, you know, I start wondering like, you know, is this just he looks better compared to, you know, Josh Harrison and Larry Garcia coming up behind him and Reese McGuire when McGuire's spinning there? Like, is this just a, a case of bad comparisons and 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 picking from kind of a a, a barren lot? But no, it, it, I'm I'm glad to see that the at least the recent numbers, the last week numbers versus the last month numbers, are starting to tilt in his favor because yeah, he is. Pulling the ball in the air more. Sometimes that contact hasn't flown as far, like it's been off the end of the bat or it's been jammed or you know, ha- yeah, the, the ball kind of has that drag shoot action to where like it seems like it's a... And then when you have the bad camera work that the series had, uh, you know, the, the camera starts uh, scanning the second deck and it flies uh, 240 feet. Um, you know, I kept thinking like this is... He, he seems like he's close because you know balls pulled in the air poorly are still better than... Grounders hit hard, I think, for a lot of hitters. And it's a case with Pollock that we don't know him that well to, to say that for sure. But then, you know, he hits the big homer um, you know, and, and breaks the game open. And, yeah, I, I think there's more where that came from. Just looking at May numbers, Tim Anderson in the month of May, Jim is hitting 384. <laughs> with a 444. OBP 444. Know, that's like, a... He's drawn five walks. Like, it's, it's, awesome. it's great in both. Yeah, just he, everything's working for him. Yeah, and, you know, it's a bit disappointing, but I guess expected that Yankees fans are booing him. But that's going to be, you know, last year 
his big moment was to feel the dreams game against the Yankees walking mm-hmm. them off and having that moment Sunday night, shushing the crowd after his big three run Homer to right field. I mean, just his season numbers, Tim Anderson sitting 359 with a 400 on base percentage and he's slugging 517. I get it. The defense hasn't been all that great, but he's but he's been getting a lot better defensively, more fundamentally yeah. sound, I should say. That la- in big plays. Yes, and and especially the last couple of weeks that you know, we're going to be voting for the All-Star game pretty soon as the calendar flips to June uh next week and the conversation really builds up. I think Tim Anderson is on his way to Los Angeles, especially the way that he's been hitting. And he's one of the more dependable bats for the White Sox in this lineup. And uh, Andrew Vaughn had himself a big hit. He gave the White Sox the lead Sunday night. That's great to see. Yes, I hear you. I do not want to see Andrew Vaughn bat eighth or ninth. And I can't make sense of what Tony Larusa is thinking with that lineup construction. But it panned out for the White Sox on Sunday. But as Tim Anderson goes for the White Sox offense, pretty much the entire team goes right now. Uh, even though Luis Robert had a, a rough game against Luis Severino. Uh, Severino ate up and carved up Luis Robert multiple times. Did not look like Luis Robert was comfortable at all. And uh, Jose Abreu is starting to hit the ball a lot better. So there's signs that the White Sox offense is getting better, and we know that it must get better if the White Sox are going to catch the Minnesota Twins. The Twins are still four games ahead of the White Sox in the American League Central. But we now pass the 25% completed part of the 2022 season. The White Sox are 21 and 20. With that winning percentage, they're on pace to finish 83 and 79. On pace is different than projections. We'll get those updated projections on fan graphs, baseball perspectives, and baseball reference. You can get those today uh, with the White Sox having their off day. They're going to look a lot different than 83 and 79. But I thought this would be a good time to usually have like quarter grades. If you remember that in high school, Jim, we focus more mm-hmm. on semester grades at Sox machine, first half grades and second half grades. But I just want to quickly touch on like quarter grades and, and where we kind of sit with on how things are going for the white Sox. Let's be optimistic and positive. First, the starting pitching I'm giving the white Sox an a, I think even with the, we are really concerned with the Lance Lynn injury. And how will this White Sox starting pitching staff sustain, especially with the short spring training? And will they not perform well out of the gate and really tax the bullpen? But as we talked about with Kopech was awesome. Cueto is giving the White Sox good starts. We've seen good starts from Vince Velasquez at times. Dallas Keuchel's even pitched a couple of gems. And we know how good Dylan Cease has been for the White Sox. And Lucas Giolito is Lucas Giolito. I'm giving the White Sox starting pitching in grade of an A in the first quarter, and I'm hoping that they can sustain this because it's a big reason why they're above 500 right now instead of talking about a team that's five or six games below 500. I'd give them a B plus just because they're you know that does leave room for improvement with the way Keiko pitched with the way Velasquez pitched. Cueto came on like I would say they're in you know, a shape thanks to the way Cueto has uh, rounded out this, this quarter, but just, you know, the way they pitched overall left some room for improvement, but yeah, with Lynn out could have been a lot worse. How do you feel about the bullpen's performance in the first 40 plus games? Uh, I would say 
it feels overall like in terms of the shape they're in, the shape going into the next quarter, that they're pretty much in A shape or like B plus shape. But I would say like some of the high leverage failures, um, the, the, the way some of the sequences for, you know, just protecting leads broke down in key situations, uh, I would say it's, they, they, the, the sum was less than its parts. So I would say like, you know, kind of B plus for shape, but like C plus for just some of the, some of the games lost. See, yeah, I was going to give them a B, and I felt that was more on the positive side because you remember the Cleveland meltdown game. Yeah. And Hendricks has also blown some saves, but he's getting a lot better. Craven mm-hmm. was great to start out of the gate, and it's Aaron Judge. And yeah. he made one bad 0-2 pitch, and he got burned. Uh, Joe Kelly, a really rough start, but he's getting better for the White Sox. Aaron Bummer is returning from the injured list. Tanner Banks was optioned back to Charlotte. Uh, Even Tanner Banks had some good outings for the White Sox before the league quickly figured him out. So I feel comfortable giving them a a B grade, but again, this goes back to you you allocated so many of your off-season resources that while a B grade is satisfactory, this really does need to be a unit that operates as as an A grade unit, Jim, Mm -hmm. uh, moving forward in the season, uh, especially where the other holes are lacking for the White Sox. So between the B plus C plus, you would give the bullpen a B. Yeah. B, B minus just because of the leverage, you know, Hendricks blowing three saves, bummers, uh, real concerning performances and high leverage. Uh, I would say yeah, B minus. All right. So the offense, they're not last in team OPS anymore. They're all the way up to 23rd gym in major league baseball. Uh, it's getting better, but you're like surrounded by teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks who have been struggling to hit. And the teams right after the White Sox are the Orioles, Royals, and Pirates. Teams that you should, you do not want to be associated with offensively. As a team, they're hitting 236 with a 290 on base percentage and they're slugging just 360 on the season. It's not an F. If they were still 29th or 30th in team OPS, they would definitely be getting an F. But with their recent outbursts offensively, we'll say, not a surge because it hasn't been consistent. They're not last in Team OPS in Major League Baseball. They're still in the bottom 10, but that's enough for me to give them a D grade. How would you grade the White Sox offense after the first 40 games? Yeah, I I arrived at a D2 just because, you know, there are some bright spots. I mean, Tim Anderson can't be playing much better. Like when it comes to, you know, offensively, uh, right. You know, Luis be. Robert, despite some, you know, uneven series, he's showing up, um, you know, yeah, as you said, a Braves getting better. Vaughn's been mostly good or, you know, a little bit, uh, weaker since coming back from the, uh, from, from the hit by pitch, but he's been, you know, above average. So you have some parts that are working, some parts that could come back if Moncada can, you know, just kind of put it together the way he's been able to show the occasional, uh, you know, ability to turn around heat. So you can see it showing up to where like not all is lost, which I think I would give an F grade <laughs> it had to be like, uh, I don't see how this is working, but yeah, right. it's hard to argue for anything higher than a D when you look at the you know, American league and see that, you know, who scored fewer runs in the white Sox. It's the Royals. As you mentioned, they're pretty much, you know, they're on death's door. It looks like the A's who are openly not trying. And then the tigers. Yeah, that's not good. I guess the Orioles, t- I, well, actually, I didn't see Toronto snuck in there, 147 runs. 
The White Sox have 148 runs. The, I guess uh, I looked at it beforehand before this five-run outburst. But yeah, the uh, the Blue Jays now have scored one fewer run than the White Sox. That's why I'm trying not to get you know as I've uh, come back. Like I don't know how much to make of this environment when it comes to how specifically bad the White Sox struggles are. But when you see that number, it is weird. The Blue Jays have the sixth seed in the American League right now. They're one game ahead of the White Sox. They're 22 yeah. and 19. Two teams that I think a lot of people were high on before the season, maybe a sexy American League Championship Series with the Blue Jays and White Sox, two of the upcoming teams. And the Blue Jays, are they have their struggles too out of the first quarter. So then the last area of the team I wanted to ask you about is coaching for the White Sox. And, and let's include Ethan Katz, Frank Medichino, along with grading Tony La Russa. So after the first 40-some games, games how would you grade the coaching staff for the White Sox uh so much of it is based on results but I would say probably D plus it just seems like the offense is very you know very present when it comes to discussing the struggles but also it does feel like on that side of the ball there's just a lot of um a lot of feeling around for something there, you know, there, there's Joe McEwing, a lot of sends home because he needs those runs. Like he, like that, that's the way the White Sox can score. Like they're not drawn walks. They're uh, kind of just bad thought processes at the plates. So, you know, there, there's good things happening on the pitching side, but it doesn't feel tenable. So, and, and a lot of that comes down to the, you know, processes used at the plate, just these, the swing decisions. And while that's a lot of that's player based, a lot of that's, you know, you know, you Frank Menachie, you could fire him, uh, you know, tomorrow, try to replace him with somebody and it's not getting better. Like he's not telling them to swing at everything. He's not telling them to, you know, Larry Garcia to go ahead 2-0, uh, you know, in a high leverage situation, then chase three consecutive pitches out of the zone to strike out. Um, it's just, you know, the, uh, a byproduct of a very aggressive uh, group of players the White Sox front office has acquired, but there's just... Yeah, some of the the lack of confidence and shakiness is just you know it does feel like between all the lineup changes, all the um, the over reliance on utility players who are not uh, really you know delivering anything like playing them more than the regulars during double headers and such like it does feel like they're missing uh, the big picture at least a little bit. I know they're managing the big picture in terms of trying to uh, you know mitigate fatigue issues down the stretch but as we talk about the record six and 12 against the AL Central just that's you know that's one of the ways that this could go poorly if it goes poorly is losing those games against divisional teams they should be beating and they have looked overmatched at times in those games I gave the coaching a C minus everything associated with the pitching staff a everything associated with the offense is a D minus because a lot of the same points that you had Jim I don't know how that gets better as the season progresses, but I feel like Larusa, for the most part, I understand the pitching decisions that he's making out of the bullpen. My one constructive criticism is you need to have guys warmed up sooner, uh, mm-hmm. especially with the starters. He, he's starting to go extra long as far as the leash for starters, which is great because they, you know, they deserve it. Cueto and Kopech started the very next inning and they were not able to complete it as they were running out of gas. But as long as you got somebody warming up and be ready to replace them, uh, that's, that's key. Don't do a Robin Ventura and, 
<laughs> it's up to the starting pitcher to get through that inning, no matter what. That's 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 bad management. Offensively, I think you have a combination. One, I, I don't know if Frank Medicino is going to be the hitting coach in 2023. If the offense continues to struggle like this, Jim, I, I don't see him coming back. I see him being used as a scapegoat. The root cause of this offense is the quality of talent. It is roster construction, which goes back to Rick Hahn. The things that you have redundancy on it is not a good kind of redundancy. Mm-hmm. Gavin Sheets had a hot week and he had a good Sunday night. He had a couple of hits against the Yankees. We need to see more, especially with the Loy Jimenez coming back or Sheets is going to go back to Charlotte. Uh, if he does not improve offensively, we're not seeing anything from Yasmani Grandal. Uh, Reese McGuire got a three hit night. That was very random uh, on Sunday, but we only have four extra base hits that we've seen from Yasmani Grandal in the first quarter. He's got two doubles and two homers. Uh, Jose Abreu has had a slow start. So it just seems like the offense was not ready to start the season. Coaching has to take some blame on that, but I think mostly the root cause is just the type of players the White Sox have hitting for them right now. You're not going to be able to fix that mid-season unless you're going to be selling the season and tearing the team down for parts. But, yeah, that's why I did the coaching staff a C-. minus. Everything associated with pitching, very good. Everything associated with the offense, not very good. But hopefully the arrow continues to point up on some mm-hmm. of the veteran guys like A.J. Pollock. Hopefully Tim Anderson continues this awesome pace that he's at right now. Uh, and Jose Abreu wakes up along with Yasmani Grandal. If they could do that, then things could be more salvageable for the White Sox. But... Everybody knows this. You circle the White Sox offense. That's the unit that has to get better if they're going to catch the Minnesota Twins in the American League Central. So those are our first quarter grades. We'll be giving out our first half grades later in the season. I believe the halfway mark is around 4th of July this year for the Chicago White Sox. So that's something to look forward to. But Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But the Boston Red Sox are coming into town, and they look much different than the team we saw in Boston a few weeks back. We preview that series next on the Sox Machine Podcast. Hey, it's Mike Rankin here, lead editor at FutureSox.com. And James Fox here, senior editor at FutureSox.com. We've got you covered on all things related to the White Sox minors and the MLB draft. James Fox works with our Mike Rankin. They do a great podcast together. It's really a highlight of my week to hear that on Tuesdays. Thank you. Join us every Tuesday on the Future Sox podcast, wherever you get your podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network and SoxMachine.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Now the Chicago White Sox, after playing eight games in seven days, on the road to Kansas City and New York. They come home and they get a couple days off. They have today off, Monday, May 23rd. They have Friday off before Memorial Day weekend as they have three games against the Boston Red Sox Tuesday through Thursday and then two games over the weekend against the Chicago Cubs, which the White Sox will not play any games on the Friday and Monday of Memorial Day. We don't make the schedule, so we don't know why it's set up that way, but that's the way it's set up for the White Sox this week. The Boston Red Sox, they were not playing very good baseball in early May when the White Sox went up to Fenway and they swept them, but they've been playing a lot better baseball as of late. They're 19-22 on the season. They're still in fourth place in the American League East, but they have won five straight games and they have won eight of their last 10 games. And a big part of that has been the offense has woken up in a huge way. First, the pitching problems for this series. Tuesday night, these are all 7.10 p.m. Central Time starts. Nick Pavetta, who really confounded White Sox hitters up in Fenway, will make the start against Dylan Cease. Rich Hill will be making the start on Wednesday against Lucas Giolito. Please note there's a 90% chance of rain Wednesday in Chicago for that start. If they have to move that game, it'll be moved to Thursday as it'll be a bit drier for a doubleheader. But the Thursday night matchup is Michael Waka for the Boston Red Sox against to be announced. But based on recent tendencies for the White Sox, that'll either be Vince Velasquez or Dallas Keuchel making that start. So back to the Red Sox offense. And Jim, the story is Trevor Story. In his last seven games, he's hit six home runs with 14 RBIs. He's slugging over 1,000 during this stretch. Rafael Devers has been red hot. He's got three homers and hitting 393 in his last seven games. And J.D. Martinez is 12 for 24 in his last seven games. This Red Sox offense was not hitting when the White Sox played him in Fenway, but they are hitting now. Do you think Cease and Giolito could cool him off? I think they can, but it is a different team. Like one number that jumped out to me, I was looking at the... Looking at the, yeah, I guess, series to series start uh, stats and just remembering, like, one thing that jumped out to me last time was that the Red Sox and White Sox were pretty much at the bottom of the American League and, and Major League Baseball, for that matter, in walk rates. And, you know, we expect that from the White Sox. We do not expect that necessarily from the Red Sox. Usually they're known as a patient team and they, they you know, have, uh, they're good at identifying talent that can do that and their, their homegrown talent tends to do that. And the Red Sox are pretty much rock bottom in that regard. Um, now that they're, uh, you know, three weeks, four weeks in May, they're in the middle of the pack when it comes to walk rate for, they're still towards the bottom on the season. 
but numbers ticking up in May. They're middle of the pack in terms of walks. And I was looking at this, uh, I was looking at their monthly splits and they have one, two, five players with at least six walks uh, this month. So you have Story with 11 on top of seven homers. Then you have Bogarts with eight, Cordero, Dahlbeck, Devers with uh, six. The White Sox have three players with more than six walks on the season. On the season? <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> so, like, they are uh, leaving the White Sox in the dust here when it comes to walk rate. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Grandal has 18. Abreu has 17. Sheets has seven. Tim Anderson, fourth on the team in walks. Okay, that's not good. Uh, well, good for Tim. Not good yeah. for the White Sox. Tim Anderson last year, let's see, he was eighth on the team in walks. So Boston's walking more, which is to suggest they are not chasing and swing early. They were pretty aggressive against the White Sox. Yeah. In that series in Fenway. So the key then for Cease and Giolito is that this is a much more patient team. They're going to make you work. So it'd be like for them facing the Yankees, which is still a good test for the White Sox. But for White Sox fans thinking, oh, we, well, we swept them in Fenway, so we should win this series. That's why I mentioned the intro of the show, Jim. I find this to be a pretty tricky series because this is a red-hot Red Sox team and one that many thought they could be a postseason team. I was pretty dour on them after that series at Fenway because if they're not going to hit, and at least offensively meet expectations, they don't have the pitching to turn this around. So I feel like this is going to be strength against strength, especially these first two games, Tuesday and Wednesday. Cease and Giolito against this Red Sox offense, and that's what's going to make it fun to watch between these two teams. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, like you said, it's going to be tougher for them. Like they shouldn't be as easy to pitch to. Um, the good news, and, and this is why, like I stress this just with, you know, Dylan Cease getting a couple days off, like getting, a, or not having to be shoved into the Yankee series. If he didn't have to be getting that off day coming back, uh, cause he's had to work hard last couple starts. He's had to dig deep. So want to see him have a little bit more for this series because, you know, whether it's Yankees, whether it's Red Sox, they should be tough offenses or at least if not tough offenses, tough clusters of hitters that might show up, you know, in the middle innings when they're, you know, at the 80 plus pitch mark where they have to execute. So I'm glad to see that Cease has a little more for this. And if Wednesday does get rained out again, Thursday will be more dry in Chicago. So we'll we'll be paying attention to the weather forecast in Bridgeport as it inches closer to that Wednesday start for the White Sox. But, you know, another day off wouldn't hurt for the White Sox, especially their bullpen to save some days, but the White Sox, this is the odd stretch of the season where in the next week here, the White Sox have three off days because they're also off next Monday before they make the trek up to Toronto. And that's the back-to-back road series for the White Sox against the Blue Jays and the Rays before they come home against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the White Sox are almost done with this 38 game gauntlet. And again, they are 14 and nine so far through the first 23 games of the gauntlet. And we'll see on how the White Sox fare against the Boston Red Sox as we will be recapping that series Thursday night, late, late version of Sox Machine Live. 
And uh, hopefully we're talking about another White Sox series win as they enter the weekend facing the Chicago Cubs on Saturday uh, and Sunday during Memorial Day weekend. And the temperatures for those games look to be sunny and in the mid 80s. So it'll be a summer feel for the Crosstown Classic, the second half of the Crosstown Classic between the White Sox and Cubs. Well, coming up next, it is your guys' questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where our Patreon supporters take over. They ask the questions. And if you would love to submit a question or topic for a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine. And Jim, our first question comes from Benny. And Benny wrote to us, since we love our record predictions, can you predict when the White Sox overtake the Minnesota Twins for the American League Central if it happens, of course. Well, last time I opted for optimism when it came to project, projecting when the White Sox would get over or get to 500 again. And I want to choose optimism again, except the Twins have a four-game edge and they're playing the Tigers, Royals, and Tigers the next three series. So I don't think they're going to give up four games of ground in a way that uh, the White Sox can take advantage of. Unless they go, unless the White Sox run the table over the next two weeks. So I think it's going to be something like, let's say, do, 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 June 14th. Whoa. Really? But I'm going to say optim- I'm, I'm leaning towards optimism, but accounting for the Twins Royals, or sorry, the, the, the Twins uh, Tigers Royals Tigers series. Okay. Interesting. I, I like the optimism. Just, it worked last time, so I'm, I'm channeling it again. I, all right, I see it. You're speaking it into existence. Benny in July, after the White Sox travel to San Francisco, and I'm sure there will be some type of Carlos Rodon reunion where the White Sox are going to have to face Carlos Rodon, and I don't even know how, how I'm going to feel about that particular game. After San Francisco, starting on Monday, 4th of July, the White Sox had three games against the Minnesota Twins, then a four-game home series against the Detroit Tigers, and the Tigers have not been playing very good baseball. After that, the final week before entering the All-Star break, the White Sox have three away games at Cleveland and then a four-game series in Minneapolis before the All-Star break. We'll be there Friday and Saturday, and we'll be having our Saturday pregame show, the Hashtag 108 Road Trip event, that Saturday, July 16th. If the White Sox can get hot, I would say that would be when the White Sox overtake the Minnesota Twins and enter the All-Star break in first place. And that would be one heck of a party if we're there, Jim, on Saturday, July 16th, if they could beat the Twins and catch them in the standings. So that's what I will say Saturday, July 16th is when they catch them. Because after the All-Star break, the schedule gets a lot easier for the White Sox. Three home games against Cleveland, a day off, they go to Denver to face the Rockies. Then they're home for a weekend series against Oakland, and that's followed up by three more games against Kansas City. All right, you take that stretch. The, the second half of the schedule for the White Sox gets a lot easier. We've been telling you this since the beginning of the season. But that would be my day, Benny, is Saturday, July 16th, the White Sox catch the Twins. So a month apart. A month apart. You're really aggressive. I, I love the optimism. June 14th. I mean, 
they're going to have to win the series against the Blue Jays and the Rays on the road and then come home and win the series against the Dodgers. Not saying it's impossible, but I mean, if the White Sox get hot, I think that's what they're going to have to do. That'll be the path to being in first place in June 14th. Or Byron Buxton gets hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the Twins have had you know a number of injuries and such and things to monitor. So that's why I think like they could easily be a team that goes hot and cold. So speaking of the Twins, since they're on mind, what do you make of the Twins now publicly saying they're trying to limit Byron Buxton to just 100 games this season? It seems like lowballing in a way. I agree. I find it to be an odd workload strategy because he's played quite a few games to start the season. Why would you say, well, we're going to try to limit to limit him to just a hundred games. So he's there for us in the postseason. What if we're right? What if the white Sox overtake the twins in June or mid July, mm-hmm. you're going to need him, right? Because I don't think the American League Central is getting two postseason teams this season. So you're the easiest path to get in the postseason yeah. is winning the division. You're, you're going to need him. So I, I find it odd. Well, he's only hitting 189 in May, though. So, well, I maybe that's what's inspiring. I'll just say, like, to say, I think a number is a low ball, but maybe they're just saying it to say, like, uh, there are diminishing returns from playing him too much. So we're going to play. It's a way to maybe just say that we're going to be playing, uh, benching him when it seems unpopular because he does not have the in-season endurance to kind of like Carlos Rodon, basically among position players. I just find it odd that they were so public about the fact that they're trying to limit him to just a hundred games. Yeah. I think there's, it seems like they're setting expectations low while they have a four game lead. And then they can say, well, we're turning up because he's responding well. Better than to, uh, you know, I guess say that, that, oh, you think you can play 130 and then he gets hurt you know, after game 70 and doesn't play again. And people say, ha, huh, 130 games. Yeah. But so maybe, to me, it seems like a messaging thing or just a way to set expectations lower. Or if he's having a rough month like he's having now, you know, batting below 200 from May, just like to say that, uh, we're still learning him. I know he's been around for a while, but he's still learning exactly what he needs over the course of a full season because he has not played one since 2017. Well, Benny, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Mark Cope. And Mark wrote to us, Eduardo Escobar and Jose Quintana both recently reached a 10 years of service time threshold. What unexpected player on the current White Sox roster has the best chance of lasting 10 plus years in the majors? I would say probably if you go to surprising, the most surprising player I would think would be Adam Engel. Really? Just because it seems like he's done the hard part in like, you know, enduring, you know, as much as he did. And he's playing well. He's running well. So it seems like he could get there, especially like, and part of my calculation is like, oh, if he gets hurt, like it's still service time. So... So that's kind of what I was thinking. Lurie Garcia is currently at seven years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I, I can see him getting there, but I, I don't think it's surprising. Like if he plays full, if he fulfills his contract, he gets there. True. But I think if you told baseball fans that Lurie Garcia got to 10 years of service time, I think 
the majority of the baseball population, fans and media alike, they would be caught off guard with that statement. Yeah, uh, but I mean, like, we've known him forever, so I thought... Like, That's true. So, it didn't strike me as surprising. Like, surprising would be Adam Engel, I think, and I think he could get there, because he'll be more than halfway there after this year, and even though he'll be, you know, 31 next year, that, you know, requires him to play through age 36, his skill set is, you know, valuable enough in the limited role he plays to where he could just keep going from, you know, whether it's White Sox team to White Sox team or team to team, and probably still get that job. Like I'm thinking like, uh, you know, John Jay was somebody who kind of hoisted himself over that 10 year role just by filling out rosters for second division teams and teams that were trying to be first division, but, uh, didn't want to pay for Manny Machado. <laughs> and look how that's faring right now for the whites. That would be something just, you know, picking at old wounds. If Bryce Harper and Manny Machado went back to back MVPs, <laughs> After a near Cy Young for Zach Wheeler. Yep. The the what if multiverse for the White Sox continues to expand. But back to the 10 years of service time. Have they changed the benefits of reaching 10 years? It's still the $85,000 a year pension, right? I think so. I didn't know in the CBA if they had made any adjustments to that particular award when reaching 10 years of service time. I'm really happy, though, for Jose Quintana, Mm -hmm. for someone that was a minor league free agent, and he's had some rough patches since the White Sox traded him to the Chicago Cubs. I didn't know if he was going to be able to have a lasting career, especially with how poorly it went with the Angels, but it looks like he's pitching well for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he got to 10 years of service time, and you know, it was great when he was with the White Sox, and there's still a part of me that, you know, if they want to give it one more shot, a, a reunion of sorts between Katana and the White Sox, if the White Sox need another starting pitcher before the trade deadline. Uh, I think that'd be fun. I don't know if that'd be a good idea, but I would enjoy it. But I'm very happy that Q got to 10 years of service time. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, watching Cueto uh, get uh, no decisions uh, with the starts he's thrown brought back fond memories. <laughs> of Quintana. So yeah, good for him. <laughs> he's, he's been through a lot. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for PO Sox. Again, if you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get the opportunity to ask us questions on every episode of the Sox Machine podcast on Mondays. In P.O. Sox, they get exclusive content like bonus P.O. Sox questions as we answer all the questions that come in. So they get extended versions of Monday's episodes. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they are the first ones to get it. So if you enjoy your work and you want more, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up. Monthly plans start at $2 a month or save with an annual subscription. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you just discovered Sox Machine, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. We do have a YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to at youtube.com slash Sox Machine and receive alerts when we have new streams from Sox Machine Live. And you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.